Welcome back to the Anglo-Boer War Podcast with me, your host, Des Latham. This is episode 123 and it's January 1902. The war has four months to run and there are still a few big shocks. One would be Lord Methuen's capture by General Coeur de la Rey. More about that in just over a month. But now, in the Eastern Transvaal, the last major battle in the region took place in January. And as I've explained in episode 121, General Louis Boter was convinced that he could no longer fight effectively there because the British actions had been so successful. But before he left, there was one more piece of violent business to attend to. The Battle of Onverwacht, which the British called the Battle of Bangkop. The action took place in the first week of January, and I've used Robin Smith's excellent report into the battle, published in the SA Military Journal, as my main source. So it was then, on the 4th of January 1902, on a ridge overlooking a fertile valley on the farm Onverwacht. The advance guard of a British column sat down for their midday meal. The commander of the detachment of 110 men of the 5th Queensland Imperial Bushmen was Major John Maximilian Valentin. He was also in charge of a company of mounted infantry of the Hampshire Regiment and some Imperial Yeomanry. Valentin was a major of the Somerset Light Infantry and had been in South Africa since before the Anglo-Boer War started in 1899. He had been recognised for conspicuous gallantry during the Battle of Elandslachter in October 1899. After contracting enteric fever, he rejoined Brigadier General Ian Hamilton in Bloemfontein in late 1900 and then had been the military commissioner in Heidelberg, south of Johannesburg. His name was mentioned in dispatches four times and he is described in the Times History of the War as an officer of proven gallantry and capacity. So on the 4th of January, Valentin had halted his men on a flat area on the summit of the Bankkorp range of hills 30 kilometers east of Ermelo. There are many small wetland depressions here called pans, which are an excellent source of clean, fresh water, both for the horses and the men, so they off-saddled and prepared a meal. In order to prevent being caught by surprise, Valentin placed pickets along a ridge running a few hundred meters to the front and stretching about three kilometers. This was a very strong position, secure from attack in front by the steep ridge while behind with the soldiers of the Hampshire Regiment and the rest of the 19th Company of the Imperial Yeomanry, who were Scots from Lothian and Berwickshire. Attack from behind across the flat ground was thus highly improbable, and he had guards out just in case. Westwards, towards Ermelo, there was a column led by Brigadier General Hubert Plumer, nearly a thousand men with mounted infantry and artillery. Even closer to them, to the east, was another column of similar strength commanded by a Scots guardsman, Colonel William Pultenay. So you could say that with so many British units around, Valentin would be forgiven for believing that the Boers would not attack. It had been a frustrating four weeks, with eight British columns under the energetic leadership of Major General Bruce Hamilton searching for General Louis Butter, who was known to be in the area with a force of around 700 men. Boerter had been leading something of a charmed existence, coming close to capture a month earlier when Colonel Sir Henry Rawlinson raided the farm Oshook at dawn and captured more than a hundred Boers, wagons and supplies. Boerter and his men were driven eastwards and Plumer and Poltenay made contact again at Kalkunskral two days later. Boerter again evaded capture. As we've heard in one of my previous podcasts, he just managed to get away but left documents and other personal goods behind. 
Now the British knew Boot had to be somewhere along the upper Vaal River, a well-watered area of hills and ravines, and the search for Boot's force intensified. They were fated to meet in January. But first, there was a small skirmish involving Boers encamped on a farm called Vintook, and a patrol consisting of men of the New Zealand Mounted Rifles. Boer General Opperman managed to surprise the patrol on a farm called Rotterdam. 28 were captured, disarmed, and then released. General Opperman, for some reason, gave their officer a horse to help him make his way back to the camp at Mavidistat. This was virtually unheard of by the latter stages of the war with all its bitterness, but I guess chivalry had still not died completely. Another patrol was attacked that day on the farm Flakfontein along the Val River and five British soldiers were cornered in a kraal and forced to surrender. They too were released. The Boers didn't have anywhere to keep them but seized their horses, firearms and ammunition. However, the intelligence gained from these two incidents gave Colonel Charles Plumer of the Mounted Infantry a clear indication of where Boer's force might be hiding. On the morning of the 4th of January, Plumer's column marched north along the Val River while Lieutenant Colonel William Pulteney followed the lower road that would take him past the farms Vaihook and Fluck Pass and then onto the eastern edge of the Bankop range of hills. The intention was to encircle the Boers at Bankop, trapping them on the high ground with nowhere to run. Historian Robin Smith's report into this battle can be found, as I've said, in the South African Military Journal published in 2004, and I've lent heavily on his remarkable insights. Smith has studied the site and came across a remarkable map drawn by a soldier fighting with the Queensland Imperial Bushman. His name was David William Priest, who wrote a letter to his father back in Australia shortly after the battle. His map is crucial to understanding exactly what happened on a day of twists and turns. So the Imperial Bushman moved off at five in the morning with light transport and guns only, leaving Pultenay's corps on the right about six miles away. Things weren't easy. Boer snipers were shooting at us all morning. No one was hit, writes Priest. Clearly, the Boers were watching the advance closely, but their aim had not been good. The force facing Priest and his fellow British troops was large by the standards of the guerrilla phase of this Boer war. There were up to 600 Boer horsemen hiding in a nearby sheltered kloof or ravine, but Valentin was oblivious to this danger. The same morning, that was the 4th of January, General Louis Boerter had told Brits, Opperman and Senior Commander Chris Boerter that he had received information that the advance guard of a British column was approaching and he advised withdrawal. As with many things involving Boer military discipline, it wasn't a simple order which was responded to with Ja, General, or Yes, General. Instead, his officers argued with their general, saying they were not in favour of retreating and instead advocating a direct strike against the enemy. In true Boer democratic fashion, the juniors prevailed over their senior. Chris Boerter from Wackerström, Generals Kurt Oppermann from Swaziland, General Britz from Staniton, and Commandant Bosman from the nearby town of Ermelo. Brits was placed in overall field command as the originator of the plan. General Louis Boerter was to monitor and make suggestions as the fight developed. So it was then that Brits's plan was focused on Major Valentin's force sitting, having their midday meal. The trap was carefully planned, and as Valentin's force arranged the pickets along the ridge, General Brits deployed the Boer force of almost 600 hidden in the ravines while to their southeast, a few hundred other Boer commandos lurked. 
Below the ridge where the British pickets were watching for any sign of Boerter's force was a flat shelf about a kilometre square. There were ravines on two sides and the western edge dipped down to a small river running northwestwards to join up eventually with the Val River. Perfect ground to hide in. A decoy was arranged, comprised of 50 cattle, with a few Boers to herd them along the flat ground and then down over the rim towards that stream. The Boers in the kloofs remained out of sight of the Queensland men on the ridge, but the decoy was spotted and reported to Major Valentin, who decided to investigate, being a proactive soldier who'd been decorated for using his own initiative. Leaving some of the men on the ridge in a secure position, the rest headed off down a roadway leading over the ridge and onto the lower level. The decoy disappeared over the edge of the plateau just over a kilometre away, and Valentin's force chased after them with the yeomanry as the advancing screen. The Queenslanders followed, adding support to the yeomanry. Suddenly, from the right flank, the Boers opened fire and emerged from the ravine where they had been hiding. The Boers made a beeline for the all-important pom-pom automatic cannon, but Lieutenant Rees of the Queensland Imperial Bushmen dismounted his men and formed a defensive line. They opened fire with a pom-pom, but it jammed after firing only five shots. Then Lieutenant H.R. Johnston of the Yeomanry was shot, and Major Valentin rushed to help, but was also hit as they tried to get the pom-pom away. Two of the gun horses were shot as well, but Sergeant Major Frank Nivett rallied the men in its defence, which included Trooper Priest, he of the letter writing, and the gun was dragged back up the road and hidden in a small donga. The senior officer standing after all the shooting was Major F.W. Toll, who managed to quickly organise a defensive line. They were now on foot. A group of men on the left flank were taken prisoner by the Boers, while the rest of the force was pushed back up the ridge to a spur on the northeast. The Boers heavily outnumbered the Queenslanders, the few yeomanry and some of the men of the Hampshire Regiment who had arrived to assist. On the right, some of them managed to retire up the ridge and join those who had remained on the right of the picket line. Then a messenger known as a galloper was sent to summon the columns. Colonel Pultenay's column on the bank cop to the east was closer than Plumer's, who had followed the line of the Val. Major Toll and his men were then cut off from the rest of the force. The Hampshires had left their horses in a little hollow behind the spur, but the Boers managed to work their way around and attack from the rear. There was absolutely no cover, and with nine of the Bushmen and eight of the Hampshires killed, and the Boers managing to get in close, further resistance was suicidal, and they surrendered. General Boerter was fully aware that Brits's attack hinged on immediate victory. Any delay was fatal. The Boers were now picking up heavy casualties themselves, and it was only a matter of time before the more than 2,000 men from the British columns arrived. The Boer attack was characterised by British survivors later as brave and desperate. So desperate, General Kurt Opperman was killed, shot straight through the forehead. As he urged his men forward, his body then lay on the field. Two Boers tried to pick it up and load it onto a horse, but General Opperman weighed 120 kilograms, and they gave up. A British column had arrived at the top of the ridge and the Boers were being subjected to a withering and accurate artillery barrage. So they left Opperman on the felt. Today, he lies buried in Freyhead Cemetery, many miles to the south. Another casualty was the young Moersi van Buren, who was in charge of Louis Boerter's young son, who was present at that battle. Van Buren was shot in the stomach and he died later that day and he is buried near the site of the battle. During the last assault on the spur, Field Coronet Marnie Swart complained to General Brits 
that they could not shoot at the English because they could not see over the edge of the ridge. Brits then ordered them to throw stones over the ridge to make the enemy keep their heads down, which enabled the Boers to climb over the ridge and then jump right in amongst the few remaining British soldiers. Things, though, were becoming desperate for the Boers. They had captured horses, but very few rifles and ammunition. The British they had come upon had thrown their weapons and rounds into the extremely long grass around the ridge, and there was no time to conduct a search. The battle continued. Sergeant Major Weston of the Hampshires was fatally wounded. He would take nearly three weeks to die. Louis Boerter was on the field and rode up to where British prisoners were being held. Here he found Hampshire Regiment Captain Late and asked for his binoculars, but they had already been shattered by a bullet. So fierce was this engagement. The casualty rate was high. By now there were 22 British troops lying dead, one Imperial Yeomanry officer, eight men of the Hampshire Regiment, and 13 Queenslanders. Then the courageous Major John Valentin breathed his last, and there were 23 dead. As with all matters of war, there's still some debate who lost more men. But there's no doubt it was the Boers. One Boer doctor who had been allowed to approach the British lines later told of 47 Boers killed and 68 wounded. The effect of this disaster on the Boers meant Boerter finally was convinced to leave the region and head south to Natal. It's also amazing to relate how Valentin's small force of Queenslanders, around 40, and a small number of Hampshire regiment then pulled the all-important pom-pom from the Donga and managed to unjam the weapon surrounded by more than 500 Boers. They turned it on the Boers who'd begun to retreat down the valley towards the nearby farmhouse of Onfordwacht, causing more casualties. But the Boers weren't finished. Even though the advanced element of Poltenay's column had arrived on the scene, having galloped from the east over the Bunkop hills, the Boers charged the Queenslanders again, but were driven away by Poltenay's Victorian mounted rifles. Shortly afterwards, Brigadier General H. Plumer and Lieutenant Colonel F. Colvin and the remainder of the columns arrived from east and west. That was the final nail in the Boer attack coffin, and they retreated in haste. Some of the Boers headed for the Vaal River and escaped to the north, where they spent the next day hidden on a farm, which actually was almost a stone throw from the British column, but were not found. One of the commando members wrote on Sunday, 5th of January, that after the punishment meted out to them yesterday, the enemy left us in peace today. The punishment, however, appeared to have been meted out on the Boers. Louis Boerter remained in the area, but soon realized that the denuded landscape, with a few farms still standing, was not adequately able to support his force. Ironically, the British confidentially agreed that they would not try again to directly capture Boerter and to focus on destroying his support rather than seek to surround him again. So there was a strange quietness that then took hold of the eastern Transvaal. By mid-February, Boerter and his followers had managed to bypass the Bakkerstrom Pitratik blockhouse line by marching through Swaziland and heading towards Freyheit. Unverwacht was the last aggressive action of Boerter's commando in the eastern Transvaal, and he was forced to remain close to or even in the Natal colony for the rest of the war. After the battle, four graves were dug in the ground near the spur. Eleven men of the Queensland Imperial Bushmen were buried in one, seven from the Hampshire Regiment in the second, five Boers in the third, and Major Valentin in the fourth. The memories of this battle have not been erased. In the years that followed, Valentin's family arranged for a monument to be erected over the grave. This monument was organized later by a member of Louis Boerter's personal staff. 
The bodies were exhumed and reinterred in a garden of remembrance in Ermelo Cemetery in 1962. Monuments erected over the original graves were also moved and now stand in Ermelo. Members of Major Valentin's family and a representative from the Australians attended the reinternment ceremony 60 years later after the final shots of the Battle of Onfervacht. Then, in February 2002, the local community erected an impressive monument on the original gravesite, which is made from stone corner posts. It bears the names of the five Boers who were buried there and the representatives of the Australian Light Horse Regiment who laid a brass plaque bearing the names of their dead. Only a fragment of the original cast iron cross erected over the Hampshire Regiment dead with the inscription For King and Empire remains cemented into the base of the monument. Because the monument site is on private land and carefully guarded by the local farmer, vandalism has been avoided thus far. It is a fitting memorial to the brave men on both sides who fought it out along the Onfervacht or Bangkop Ridge more than a century ago. And now we must stop and contemplate the next steps, which will be taken by General Jan Smuts, more than a thousand kilometers away from this ridge in the Northern Cape. That's for episode 124. So please rate the podcast on iTunes if you can, or send me a message through the website abwarpodcast.com. You can also direct message me on Twitter at Des Latham. Until next week, goodbye. Daar in Marisalek ooit weer kinsel my schaad het ek weer gekry En sonder gedal langs die moeir vierste val het sy vroorlogsdag geblei O bring my terug na die Oudransval, daar waar my sari woon Daar onder in die mil is by die groen door een boom, daar woon my sari Marisalek Daar onder in die mil is by die groen door een bo-